Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod, the podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... It's always an honor to have somebody who comes back onto the podcast, um, and and he is wearing. I, I know you guys are, are listening, can't see it, but he is wearing his Red Bull cap as he is supposed to. Uh, I respect it, but it does take away from the beautiful locks that he's got going on right now. But Riley Opelka joins us on the podcast. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, um, and I, I hope your family's well. How how are you in this quote unquote off season? Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Um- I'm I'm doing well. I uh, I had a good, you know, training block. I guess whatever you get, whatever people call it. I don't know. Um, for me, it's just the same old, same old, same old. And um, I've been uh, I've been spending a lot of time on my body, spending a lot of time on um, pretty much everything that I don't you normally know, get the time to spend on. So I mean, I've, I've had three months where the first month we were able to really um, let my knee settle down and. Um, do a lot of uh, physical therapy for my knee and then the second month we were allowed to um, really like start moving a lot of weight um, while also protecting the knee and now we're, we're continuing the same just adding in the, the tennis aspect of it so we're getting more uh, more into the tennis side now well before we get a little too serious I just a quick comparison between the lumberjack beard and Mike you haven't showed him yet yeah the mohawk um, yeah Mike has a mohawk yeah. um, uh, that's epic. It's a little too <laughs> early in the morning for it. But... <laughs> Wait, <That's epic>. Yeah. <laughs> that is horrendous when you spike it up like that. Yeah, I know. That is epic. I love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, kind of take us along for what is it like? I mean, people ask, you know, the weather up there, all that shit. But what is it like being in the Riley Opelka body in terms of injury-wise? I feel like, you know, things are going well, things are going well, and then boom, you wake up one morning, you're like, my back just can't do it what is that like for you mentally and obviously physically yeah i mean it's definitely you know it's different that like an example that was like one of the craziest ones for me was in the australian open uh earlier in this year um i was i was playing uh up two sets to love we had a rain delay and i'm taking the you know like the the shuttle to the hyatt uh to the hotel there you know uh which um usually you get your own car but if you stay at that hotel like you're not allowed your own car you have to stay you have to take the shuttle which makes no sense but um so i'm sitting on there for like it's only a 15 20 minute ride but i i couldn't i can't fit on that bus at all so i'm like sitting really weird and i'm twisted really weird and you know i'm up two sets going back to end my day and i'm playing you know i'm resuming the next day and 
and I get off, I get up off the bus and I was kind of torqued in a weird position for like 20 minutes and I, I couldn't get up. And mm. I was like, Jesus. I, I mean, I literally couldn't get up and my back was completely stuck, completely locked. I'm just like twisting and cramming into this bus for, it was like a 20, 25 minute ride. And, and then that was it. I mean, it was, it was, there was no one locking my back for another week. So that's in a weird example of like, everything's great. Everything's fine. And literally within 20, 25 minutes, uh, I can't move. How do you, um, how do you deal with that? How do you, you know, I, I know you were working with a physio, uh, you know, for a long period of time. Are you still doing that? And how are you trying to prevent those things from happening in the future? I mean, it sounds weird. You know, I mean that that's happened before. And like now I'm, I'm just really stubborn. Like mm. if it, I just won't put myself in those situations, I mean, you know, it might sound ridiculous, but it's costed me in my opinion, a lot of money from, from just going with it, you know? So I don't, if I'm uncomfortable and it's, you know, I can, I can suffer for five, five minutes, 10 minutes and just make sure that I'm not doing anything in a weird position or whatever. But when I'm in a, if I'm in that situation again, there's no chance, you know, I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to get my own, I'm going to get my own car. Or I'm going to stand up on the bus the whole time. I'm not going to, I just won't do that, you know? And, and then there's other things like, so my knee's been a huge issue the last, the last year on and off, but we've, we've really learned a lot about it and found a lot of ways to strengthen my, it's my, it's called patella tendonitis. So, yeah. um, nothing to be too concerned of. I mean, um, there is an operation route. I, I could have went down and, um, but basically it's, you know, I'm 240 pounds. So, um, my tendons are no, they're no thicker than, than anyone else's. And, um, when you have, you see when you have 240 pounds of, of stress and pressure on, on my tendon and I'm playing, you know, a bunch of open stance balls, essentially I'm on one leg. That's, that's like 240 pounds of, of a uh, mass on, on one little tendon. So mm-hmm. it, there's things that um, are different being, you know, seven foot and six, 11, seven foot or whatever you want to call it. And, and um, I'm just learning on, to, to deal with them still. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be new, there's gonna be new things coming at me every year and it's just a matter of you know dealing with them and hopefully by 25 26 uh, i got most of them ironed out and I'm, I'm you know hoping to be in my prime around that well if you need anybody to talk to uh mike's open he's been dealing with this same situation mm. of, of being 240 pounds yes accurate <laughs> but my um, tendons though are really thick it's very weird super it's very weird unnatural <laughs> um yeah, but you, and I always like this about you, and, and you kind of said it just now for the preseason of just you doing the same old stuff, going out there, enjoying hitting serves. You know, you're still super young. You know, what does the next 10 years look like for you? What are you working on? What does your team want you to work on? I mean, I know you're the guy that's going to go out there, play your tennis, hit those somehow seven-foot running forehands on the run winners, but what does, you know, your game look like improvement-wise for the next few years? Um, it's still, um, we're still obviously working on my return to serve, um, and, and just looking at, at a different bunch of different, a a bunch of different data on, on my return and kind of what, what works and what doesn't position wise where I'm standing. And, and then also, um, physically, you know, I'm working a lot of my open stance backhand, my slice backhand, my volleys, just a bunch of, I mean, we spent a lot of time just working on my, just like skills, you know, it's Mm. not necessarily just you know, doing drills where I'm running side to side or two cross one line. It's, we're doing a lot of stuff, just like working on, working on my skills, you know, I mean, dealing with like specific shots, like using my hands more, my backhand, dealing with the low ball, my forehand, dealing. So we're getting a lot of reps of, of just, um, 
very particular um, shots. I know that you and I talked about this, uh, I believe, after you won Knoxville a couple of years ago. You and I had, uh, we did one of our, you know, challenger champion little little talks, and you started telling me a little bit about data and analytics and how you and your team were using them. And I'm, I'm interested how that has progressed over the last couple of years, especially as you've moved up um, where there is more data, uh, more, mm-hmm. more, more numbers available to you and the team. How, how are you continuing to use that to build your career? Yeah, I, I definitely use it. You know, uh, I think everyone uses it a lot now. Every, a lot of the top players. And I think there's something to like, you know, um, <laughs> I, I joke around, but, I remember uh, I called it scouting the scout once. I, I remember I was playing like – because everyone uses data. So I remember I was playing Chorch once in Cincy, and we were like four all in the third. And it's love 15 I'm serving. It starts to rain. And it's starting to come down, and we're playing the love 15 point. And and then I remember I, I think I we had a long round, and I, I missed the ball. I just went for it, and it, it was getting wet. And – just love 30, and then I'm like, all right, I got to stop. I mean, it's soaked. It's slippery. So I put my rack in my bag. Get, then we finally walk off the court, and then the next – it's it's pouring. It's like 10 p.m., nonstop pouring. So we come back the next day, and I'm serving for all love 30. And I think I was killing them with my my slider serves, or maybe it was my flat serves. I can't – whichever one. And I remember, um, you know, and I know – I mean, Borno, this guy scouts like you couldn't imagine. <laughs> I remember telling my coach, like, you know, this guy is going to just go off data. Like, you know, I mean, I've killed him with the, with the, maybe I think it's a flat serve. I've killed him with my flat serves. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to hit him because my coach said, like, you need to come out sharp and make sure we do a long warm up. Let's play some points before I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to hit, hit my sliders because he, he's just expecting a bomb T and the flat wide. And I, I don't need to warm up because the ball's not going to come back. And, and like the first, <laughs> He guessed. He guessed on the flat tee, the flat wide, the, like both times. I think I aced him like four times in a row. I didn't even hit my spots on, on them that well. So and you're fighting your own stats. Yeah, I was. I was. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I was scouting the scout. But there's something too like everyone's aware of it now, so you can't like, you know, there's nothing like. Uh, it helps to know to have some things in in your mind of what what they like and what's going to happen, but. You know, come game time and come come match match play. It's you know, it's it's more instinct still for me. It's still instinct that that um, that I, I, I'll put my instinct over over the data. But it's still nice to know the data. Yeah, actually, yeah. I find that really funny because I think we've gotten to a point. I've talked to Mike a little bit about it, and some coaches here is that it gets so good, whether it's data, whether it's just the game itself, that it actually comes full circle and it becomes like a beginner again because everybody gets so good at one thing that you're like, wait, it goes back to the beginning where, okay, instinct counts more. Again, uh, we talk about this a lot where Robredo on behind the racket basically said, I used to be good and now I play guys and they just hit winners out of the pocket. There's no tennis anymore. Everybody just hits winners <laughs> all the time. And yeah. like, you know, all these things kind of get, flushed away because people are just so good now a lot of the things that you work for a lot of things you think about it kind of goes back to the beginning of okay what do i do well as a player what am i going to do and what do i feel comfortable doing in the end yeah i mean if you look at like robredo you know um when he played the game was the game now is so linear you know um so like for even when robredo in his prime like five six or now it's probably 10 years ago but he was still playing really well seven years ago, you know, he was a top player in the world. And, um, you know, that's not that long ago. 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of it, 2010, like, it's, when thinking of, like, where you were in 2010, the tournaments you were playing in 2010, it's not – the game, you would think, hasn't changed that much. And it's weird because we're so close to it, I think, so we don't see it quite as much. But if you haven't been on, like, on tour, you know, like, if you haven't been – like if, if you've been a coach on tour, or you've been coaching elsewhere. Like even if you've been a coach of college tennis, let's say, and you haven't been on tour ten years, the game's changed so much that you'd have to definitely kind of reinvent yourself as a, as a coach because um, it's just gone so linear. You know, like back then, you know, it was like the the high, heavy forehand, the spinny, deep backhand to push your opponent back was like what we were taught, and that's that doesn't exist. I mean, it, it's it's not even it's actually wrong in today's game if you teach that because. I mean, like, like Roberto said, I mean, the ball sits up at a guy's shoulder height now that used to be uncomfortable, maybe over his head and heavy. And But now, like, that's shoulder height for, for Medvedev or for, for Sitsipas, and, and they're going to swing. They're going to take a cut because they can afford to miss it as well because if if they're serving, you know, they're going to hold serve. They, they all serve unbelievably well. It's it's a, you know, it's it's a different game in, in just a short period of time. But the biggest difference I see is it's so linear. Like, you know, I remember when we had the – people would put the, the yellow rope over the net and work on height over the net and heavy and pushing your opponent back and high and high and heavy and, and deep. And, but now that it's like, if you're going to put that yellow rope that used to be three feet over the net, it's to make sure you hit under it. Cause the game's mm-hmm. just, you can't give a guy a high ball like that or else it's over. Noah and I have talked, um, you know, when we're basically just talking shit about, about people, Riley, uh, about, how there is um, and at times an advantage of being stupid when you're a tennis player. Just that idea that you, you're not thinking about anything else. It's obviously clear when you're talking about data, you, 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 you take that in, you're obviously able to talk well about long-term of tennis and all of that. And I've been courtside and hearing your brain essentially come out of your mouth uh, all too often. You're not a dumb guy. How have you taken all of that and and basically learned how to focus a little bit better so that all of those things that you're just talking about there, all the things that go through your mind when you were going through your T-tour phase, how have you been able to eliminate that so you do have more tunnel focus on on what you need to do in a match? It's all about um, like having, it's all about filtering through um through the great, the good data and, and the, the stuff that, that gets a little too excessive and, and can be um, a negative aspect. And, and that's where I think my coaches do a good job of like, so, so I, I don't look at the actual program myself, you know, because when you see some of the different ones, like the, the presentation is great, but you'll see all this, you know, they'll literally have like a little diagram of the court. And you'll see like the, it'll highlight like the wide spot, 64% here, 12, and then they'll have a red ball, which is like, maybe shows where they serve on break point to, to kind of just scatter all this. So it's all this crazy stuff. And, and my coaches know kind of um, what I like, what I don't like, what I want to see and what I don't. And I think um, having them to filter through it for me. Um, so I don't even have it in the back of my mind is really helpful. So there's a bunch of things that are there that I don't see that is intentional. You know, they don't show yeah. me. Um, and, and I think that that helps. So I think having, um, having a coach, you know, that they like, like JY and Jay that I've, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time with the last three years. There's been a lot of consistency between us. We know, um, we kind of know what, what I like to see, what I don't, what helps, what doesn't. But the emotional part 
the emotional component, especially for a guy like yourself, uh, that was the one that kind of impressed me because like, like I mentioned the T tour shit, like I remember Dallas a couple of years ago, right before you won New York and you were just yeah. the entire fucking three rounds or four rounds or whatever you had. You were just every time something would go wrong. You'd look at me specifically and be like T tour fucking T tour. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. how did you narrow that aspect down? Because again, I feel like you're a guy who has all of this, the data, the, you know, the, the analytical brain, you've got the emotional brain, all of it has to get narrowed down. So you're able to focus on what you need to do. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like, you know, that's gotten better, I guess. But I mean, even in Antwerp, you should see me in Antwerp. I was a mess. I mean, mm. I mean, I was an absolute mess. Um, so I, yeah, it's narrowed down a lot. You know, I've definitely gotten better. At like it's, it's almost like rewind. I mean, it, it, believe it or not, it happened a lot at the New York open. Um, we really, cause after Dallas, it was such a shock. You know, I remember my coach uh, Jay was like, Jesus, I mean, this kid's a lunatic. And, <laughs> and, uh, and we really put emphasis on it in New York at the New York open, where it was like, just, just shut your mouth type of thing. And, and you're probably going to lose here because you're, we're going to re we got to rewire kind of how you go about things. It's a whole different, it's like changing your, your, it's like changing your, your grip on your forehand. It's like a big, and, um, and I remember I played New York open and first round I was getting crushed by Manorino, like crushed. And, and I was like, just like walking, like not saying a word. And it felt so weird that I was like, wow, I'm not saying it. This is like different. <laughs> and um and i was getting killed i was playing terrible and i was like completely out of the match I'm like jesus i'm not like you know like i just didn't have the same energy and then as the match kind of carried on I, I started to focus more on what i needed to do to win and less less clouded thoughts and less distraction and and um, i carried it through through the whole week and and then it it stayed for a little while and then, you know, there's, it still is where there's times where it goes back, but most of the time I'm pretty like, if you look at most of my matches recently, it's, I've been pretty, uh, um, there hasn't been many, many moments where I've, you know, gone off the, the deep end. Changing subjects a little bit. Um, I actually talk very highly of you, which I don't talk about many people, especially Mike included. Um, when it comes to the switch I've seen in the past, like five years from you as like a person mm -hmm. and like finding yourself and all this stuff, you know, everybody, I mean, not that I love every fashion choice that you've chosen over the past, <laughs> but, you know, getting into fashion and everybody you work with and, you know, really coming into your own. Um, so kind of a two part question. One, what was that transition stage like for you? And two, I think I've heard you speak a lot about how, you know, tennis tennis players don't really create this you know i always talk about that tennis has the excitement you say that you know within players and the sport itself it could be added a little bit more so what was it like for you and then what do you think tennis players have to do better you know honestly for me it was it sounds crazy and i mean this in, in zero negative way at all i mean um I started to really find myself and my tennis, my, my everything on court, off court. When I, when I left the USDA, um, mm -hmm. you know, they served their purpose in my life. It was unbelievable. I wouldn't be here without them from, you know, 12 to 18 years old. Um, well, 12 to 19, maybe, yeah, 12 to 19, almost 20, 12 to 20. And, and um, by the time, um, you know, I think the, the one regret I wished I had, I had left, and went on my own when I was 18 easier said than done. You, you know, I, you have to 
start to decline or start to see things happen to change. You know, I was doing really well at 18, so it would be it would have been weird if I left the USTA. But um, it's just, you know, I, I got to become my own person. I got to, you know, um, and the, the USTA was still very supportive of it. You know, that, that's what I loved about about Martin in particular and now Kent. But, uh, but they were very supportive you know I actually was scared to tell them I, I don't think I need to I should train here anymore and and they were the first ones to say like like yeah great like you know we're let's 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 help let's help your next steps you know so I don't mean it in any negative way but I think leaving them after that much time was really great for me because I got to I settled in South Florida when no one was down here I was by myself it was just me and Jay Berger um so I was I was responsible for a lot more things like you know, organizing practice, finding the right, finding who I wanted to hit with. Um, you know, I was paying for Jay and, and um, organizing who I wanted to work with in fitness. And I just became, you know, almost the owner of, of my company, of my tennis. And, and, um, and with that, I, you know, I met a lot more people because before I was just hanging out with my friends at the USTA and, and, you know, I got to, do my own thing i was like you know i'm alone here in 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 west palm beach for when i lived in west palm i was alone had no one didn't have tommy around didn't have francis around for the first time and so i met a bunch of other people and and really uh it, it changed my life you know i think along with that riley um there's also been the maturity in terms of finding a voice um, and, and obviously I'm not in, I'm not involved in all of the, the politics, um, the, the, if you will, the player texts, the group texts and all that. But I do know that you're starting to find more of a voice of what you think is important for players, big picture. So I, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a very broad look at this and ask you a very broad question over this year with everything that's happened with COVID, the break returning, all of that. I want you to kind of tell me what you think tennis has done one, what has been the most positive thing that tennis has done, big picture? And then number two, in terms of all the politics, all the COVID and everything, what's the biggest negative that tennis has done over this past year? I think the um, the biggest positive, I guess it's hard because if I'm just going to speak in for everyone or if I'm speaking for myself. Speak for yourself. Obviously, you know, I think um, it, it's a, it's a, two-part question it's a two it's a two-part answer that that completely like conflicts each other but i think for for, for tennis wise i think it was great it, it stayed relevant and stayed around as much as like the really lame lame tennis media like ben rothenberg didn't want it to happen because he just hates tennis so i think from that standpoint it's great that that it, it happened you know and i think that um a lot of people were very appreciative of it you know i think almost everyone besides ben was appreciative of having something to watch and, and being able to enjoy tennis. And, but also, you know, at the same time, I think one of the negatives was we, we also as players, I think we settled for low standards there, um, which uh, like, you know, I, I think right away when the first 250 made the, the, um, the option of like having a, a, a pop-up 250 where the winner makes 12 grand, um, I think the winner should have said absolutely, or not the winner. I think the player should have said no chance. Sorry, we're not going to play. And, you know, I think there's a fine line of like having tennis come back and like, you know, being back, being playing, like I think the U S open did a great job. Cincinnati, um, St. Petersburg was great. Uh, French. I, I mean, they're all great. The the big ones did a great job, but 
Um, I think like the pop-up 250s were like, I think they were harmful to us. Um, and I also think when we bubble up week after week after week, it weighs on us. I think the quality of tennis will start to drop. Um, so, you know, I think it's a, they completely conflict each other, but I think keeping tennis relevant for, for the viewer and for everyone was very important, very great. But I also think um, we settled um, at too low of a rate in some, some events. I, I get the sense. And I, I, I will say I'm still on the fence about the PTPA um, specifically, but in general, I am, I, I think, I know you've listened to the podcast. I'm appreciative. You sent me a text actually over the summer saying you were listening to some of it, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm very supportive of the idea of unionization of players, having that collective voice where yeah, are, we need one. Yeah. Where are you on that? And how do you kind of uh, deal with both the PTPA and just that general idea of wanting a voice for players? Yeah. I mean, so we need one hundred percent. If you look at like, how many conflicts of interest we have um, in the ATP structure. It's like, it's insane. You know, like, um, I mean, like Dominic team's agent, I forget his name. Um, who's a great guy. Actually. I've met him. And I really like him. And, and I, I'm a big fan of Dominic. He's like world-class. This is not a dig on any of them. It's yeah. just a dig on the ATP structure, but you can't be on the board of the, you can't be on the board of the ATP and, and you, you can be a, a tournament director and then also a player's agent. Like, right. <laughs> That can't happen. That absolutely cannot happen. Um, so um, I think like that's just one example of there being so many like conflicts of, of interest at, at our, you know, for a big organization now. And, and um, I think that's what, what we, um, I mean, there's, there's plenty of other examples too that, you know, out there like that. And, and I think that that's essentially what the PTPA wants to, get rid of is is all these conflicts of interest you know um like how could you know dominic team's agent for example owns the tournament in in austria you know so um he owns vienna so how, how could he and he's on the board of the atp so essentially he has a vote on like prize money on if there is going to be appearance fees or not and like it's like man how, how can a player's agent a tournament director and a board member like, like how, you know what? No, that shouldn't, ex it doesn't. Um, so it, and I'm not saying, and I, I, I really doubt he abuses that cause he's a good guy, but I'm, but just the fact that that's there is, yeah. is, uh, is, is wrong. Where does tennis go from here? You know, on a, on a larger scale, obviously we're not, you know, we're not at the point where we're competing with football, with soccer around the world, with, you know, even baseball at times, then, you know, where do we go from here? What are the changes we need to make uh, to bring tennis kind of into the limelight a little bit where we're seeing, you know, ESPN commercials for tennis and people are excited to watch and the new, you know, the 10 year olds want to pick up a racket. What do yeah, we do? So I, I don't think that, um, you know, tennis has gotten really big in the lockdown. Um, it really has. It's become, all my friends are really into it now. I don't know that weren't into it. It's become a big piece in fashion. I mean, you see all these tennis photo shoots. It's, it's really becoming, it's really grown a lot in the lockdown. Um, believe it or not, not from us, not from professional players. I think just from outdoor activity and social distancing and whatnot. But um, I think that as players to help the tour, um, the one thing maybe I disagree with a little bit on the PTPA uh, is I think they're starting from the top and working their way to the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, 
I like the opposite approach. I like starting, starting small, starting from the bottom and working my way to the top. So if you look at basically what that means is asking for more money from the slams. Um, that's starting from the top and working your way down. I, I think the approach should be the opposite. I think we should start from the bottom, work our way up, meaning that we should work on raising the value of the ATP 250s and the 500s and the 1000s. So I think we start by getting the 250, the winners of the 250s making 500 grand um, by regulating the gambling, doing a, selling our media rights and um, being open to gambling sponsors, betting sponsors, other beverage sponsors for play, like just letting this be total free for all. And, and um, I think with our product, our product being really high quality right now, um, I think we should have 250, the value of 250s where the winner's making 300 to 500 grand. And maybe we play less 250s and, and we, we strategize better spots of where they need to be played in, you know, like Long Island in February, you're not going to have much of a, of a, of a crowd anyway. So I think, strategizing where we can play them in that that's better, you know, with it, where the money is. I mean, I know we're already exploring options in Doha and Qatar and things like that. You know, if that's what it takes, uh, you know, I think there's, there's room for that. I'm not saying play every week there. I don't think that's great for the sport either, but you know, um, being more strategic about the markets we're picking and, and things like that. And then, you know, I think 500s then would have to raise because, if, if a 250 winner is making 350 grand, 400 grand or, you know, to win it, then if ATP 500 is going to, you know, there's no difference. So you have to raise as a 500. And, and if a 500 raises, then as a master's, you have to step it up like Ellison wanted to, but all the slams said no, because it's going to take away from the value of the slam. So if El- a guy like Ellison comes into play and we get some more power players like that into play and they step up some of the master's 1000s money, then the slams have no choice but to eventually step up. So I'm a fan of doing it the opposite way of instead of, you know, I know the slams make a lot of money and increasing our percentage there. I'm a, I'm a fan of that in terms of finding more money. And, and then I also think a lot of the money needs to be repurposed at the two, at the two fifty five. I mean, at every level, but especially at the two fifty five hundred level where doubles players and qualifiers take up almost 40% of prize money, um, which is extremely high. Um, it doubles, I think is really high. And, you know, if you ask every tournament director, every tournament owner at the ATP two fifties, they would, they would get rid of doubles in a heartbeat because they don't sell a ticket. So, um, from the business structure, I mean, there's not one seat sold. There's not one ticket sold and they pay a lot of money for it. So it's like, you know, um, I think, I think that's an area that needs to be looked at. I think qualifiers make too much money in some cases. You know, I think the slam is important that they, they get paid, but I think, Forty percent of our money is going from qual- going into qualifying in doubles. I think there's something wrong with that. I mean, there's going to be guys that are going to qualify some weeks and get paid better in the main draw. So I think it all would like pay itself off. But I, maybe I'm wrong. But that, that's just my thought. That's a that's a lot of thoughts actually there. And we're, <laughs> we 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 typically go about half an hour. But I wanted to make sure I get to this because Noah talks about this a lot about um, the, the the idea of personal. Um, sponsorships and making sure your your style, who you are as a person shows through on the court. And I think you've started to do that more and more with the idea of having the Red Bull handy, um, you, you know, all, all of that. And I think that's one thing that I think you seem primed for, Riley, is that if there's a loosening of the idea of sponsorships and patches and things like that, it seems like you'd be a guy 
who'd be willing to do that and take advantage of every part of your body in terms of making it a fashion statement and taking care of sponsorships so you are able to be more profitable as a player. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, we're working on getting uh, Opelka chopped you know, just helicoptered into the BTR tour, you know, <laughs> Red Bull style, and he's parachuting out. And then it goes right into the warm up. Like that's it. <laughs> uh, what what do you think? I, I want to make sure I ask this. What what do you think about about Noah's BTR tour and and what what it could potentially mean to tennis? I think it, I think it's really cool. Um, I think it could be a nice, you know, um, like I, I, honestly, I think it has potential to be to be really big. But I think like short term wise, I think it's just a nice alternative and i know its point is not to necessarily you know i think he's got a nice progression on how he wants it to grow um you know how big can it get is that is the question um but um yeah i think you know i think his um idea is great and i think he's in a market where the product will be high because you have a lot of really great tennis players that um that are going to he's got enough budget and he's you know raised enough capital and he's got enough guys in on it where he's going to get guys, good players that are going to take the paycheck to go play and compete. And I'm sure they'll have fun. And, um, and I, it's something that I'm interested in just cause it's different. I want to see how it goes. And I know Noah's worked hard on it and, um, pushed, pushed hard for something different. Uh, Tommy, Tommy. Okay. Uh, it seems like you're putting a lot of beatdowns on, on the ping pong table. Um, is, I am the best player. In yeah. The house. Is he okay? Um, he's okay. You know, he's been better. <laughs> But he's okay. We've been practicing a little bit. Uh, we've been playing a lot of tennis together, actually. A lot of tennis, ping pong, basketball. Um, but yeah, he's he's uh, he's Tommy. You know, there's uh, <laughs> he's a he's a legend. And we've got a new. We've had a bunch of friends over staying at my house this this time off, so it's been like super fun. Christmas, like I said, I was completely alone. It was the first time I think I've been alone, like in I don't know how many months, and I like didn't like it at all i was like <laughs> i called tom i facetimed tommy he went home for like one day i'm like dude i miss you like <laughs> and uh so i called my nathan and phil all my friends that have been, been here with me i'm like geez guys like crazy lonely <laughs> so, so if you do end up playing one of my events end up winning in you know forgetting the winner's prize money i want light up heelys and i need that Oh, yeah. The fact that I saw Tom with rolling around in Healy. Yeah, I got him those as a Christmas present. They're right here. <laughs> Wait, just I'm hold it up. Wait, hold it up for a second. That's too good. <laughs> that is too good. Where do you find shoe. that? Do they make those still? Oh yeah. The only <laughs> shoe with the removable wheel and the heel. <laughs> yeah. Is he like solid with them? Because he looked a little Uneasy. He's gotten better. He's gotten better. <laughs> Obviously, uh, it's going to take some work, but yeah, these ones are great. They, they, and they're like, you have a charger, you know, it's like USB charger. <laughs> Plug your phone. They really, <laughs> they've really, uh, you know, kept up with the times. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot for this final question. Um, I've watched at times, uh, your good friend, Taylor Fritz play some, some video games on the Twitch, Riley. Um, yep. there we go. Is is uh, have you been one of the trolls that I've interacted with on Twitch chat? No comment. Yes, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> no comment. Not no. Nah, I'm not not admitting nothing. 
<laughs> no comment. Yeah, you can really eyeball beard now. Yeah, no comment, you know? I, uh, but I got, yeah, so I, I forgot to log into one of them, and I forgot to log in the other, and it's like, it's a hassle to, like, get a new name. It, it's not easy to sign up for Twitch. Correct. I have, like, three or four different accounts now, and I, I forget the password because I make, the password has to be really long on Twitch, and I don't right. It's not my normal password, so I always forget it. So I always have a new name. If you- Wait, <laughs> you know, Mike knows my good friend Max from back home. And when I do my IG lives, actually, it was like right after you and I did one. Yeah. Fake Instagram accounts. And I would just be like, okay, so Eric's coming on right now. And boom, friend, next That's one. Great. And it's like, <laughs> such a, it's such an effort. Like, don't you guys have something else to do? <laughs> like, not really, man. What else am I going to do right now? Like, even today, like right now, I'm just going to, like, as soon as we're done, I'm going to be on my couch for a long time. Like, that's a football I'm gonna get, day. I'm going to make my coffee and, and uh, have some caffeine, you know, play, play COD, watch football, Uber eats food, wait for you to go live. Yeah, I just uh, I'm just saying if if you go twitch.tv slash Mike C Tennis and if you want to, like, put together a, uh, like a, a Mike C Tennis is shit, uh, you know, troll account, I'd love that. It would just you make would me happy. Nothing more. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would definitely consider. Riley, um, take care of yourself. I, I don't know when we'll see each other next, but um, it is always a, a fun to run into you. Give my best to your family because I love them to we'll death. Do. They've been fantastic to me over the last couple of years. And take care of yourself and your body. All right. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks, okay. guys. See yeah, you, Mike. See you soon. Soon. Bye, yeah. Riley. See you soon. Later. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.